Hello, this is Evidence-Based GI, and I'm Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief. Today, we'll be discussing the causes of post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer with Jeff Lee, research scientist and attending gastroenterologist at the Kaiser Permanente San Francisco Medical Center. We'll be discussing a review from that research group entitled Post-Colonoscopy Colorectal Cancer Etiologies in a Large Integrated U.S. Healthcare Setting, which was published recently in Gastroenterology. Welcome, Jeff. And let's talk a little bit about why this is an important study, especially with respect to the World Endoscopy Organization's consensus statement on classifying post-colonoscopy colorectal cancers. Well, Phil, thank you so much for having me back again. And uh, what a privilege and honor to be able to talk about this latest publication in gastroenterology. So why is this an important topic, post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer, and just really think about the etiology of why these occur. And so we know that uh, colonoscopy is an incredibly effective tool for screening and prevention of colorectal cancer. However, uh, colonoscopy is not perfect and rarely, you know, we do find cancers that can be diagnosed after a clearing or a negative colonoscopy, which did not detect a colon cancer at that time of the examination. And so these are what we term post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer. And, you know, several studies that our audience are very well, well aware of um, have identified various risk factors for post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer. These could be patient-related risk factors or even endoscopist-related risk factors that increase the risk of PCCRCs. Uh, and this includes, you know, adenoma detection rate, withdrawal time. And so even though we have these studies and have better understanding of some of these risk factors, there hasn't been any study that really has done a deep dive into why these post-colonoscopy colorectal cancers really occur. And so, you know, there's been some variability in terms of, uh, of studies that show maybe potential root causes of these PCCRCs from a, a clinical standpoint, but there's a lot of variation in terms of um, some of the published literature. And so what the World Endoscopy Organization did recently, and which they published in 2018 in gastroenterology, a lot of the thought leaders and experts in colorectal cancer screening came together to develop a consensus statement and also a methodology to better classify and determine what the most plausible explanation for these post-colonoscopy colorectal cancers. And they did that and they published their consensus statement in 2018. They also provided a framework for all universities and medical centers and even individual practices to really be able to kind of look into their cases of PCCRCs and to better uh, understand what the root cause or the most plausible explanation and to help perform quality improvement or quality assurance programs in their settings. And so this was a great way to be able to standardize your approach, to be able to classify what the root cause or the, uh, the etiology of the PCCRCs. So for our listeners, you know, just keeping in mind, missing a lesion, incompletely resecting a lesion, or having a rapidly growing new cancer are some of the more common reasons why you might develop colon cancer after having had a clearing colonoscopy. And as you mentioned, you know, with the World Endoscopy Organization consensus statement, that provides guidance to determine which of those are most likely as the reason for that post-colonoscopy colon cancer. And, you know, in this particular 
study from the Kaiser Permanente group, this is really the first large study that does a root cause analysis using WEO criteria to classify the cause of the post-colonoscopy colon cancer. So can you talk a little bit about what the investigators did in this study? Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. So like you mentioned, this is the largest study and looked at 516 post-colonoscopy colorectal cancers that were diagnosed at Kaiser Permanente Northern California, which is an integrated healthcare delivery system in Northern California. And what they did, the authors were, they, they followed the WO consensus recommendations and they, they looked at these 560 cases, reviewed each of their charts and followed the flow diagram, which essentially, you know, was based on their WO publication in 2018. And the first thing that they looked at was for each of these cases or PCCRC cases was what was the time frame between the PCCRC and the last colonoscopy? And if it was greater than four years, they, they, the most plausible explanation based on the WO consensus recommendations was that this PCCRC was likely due to a new cancer. However, if it was diagnosed within four years of a colonoscopy, then the next question would be, was there an advanced adenoma seen in a segment that was the similar segment where the PCCRC was diagnosed? And if yes, then the next question would be, was that lesion or that advanced adenoma resected? And if it was, the most plausible explanation was it was likely an incomplete resection of a previously identified lesion that is the advanced adenoma. But if it, that advanced adenoma was not resected, they would ascribe the, the most plausible explanation as a detected lesion that wasn't resected. And then if there was no advanced adenoma seen in that same segment of the bowel, uh, where the PCCRC occurred, they asked of several questions about the quality of the examination or the completeness of the examination. So if it was complete or if that bowel preparation was, was adequate then they would say it was possibly a missed lesion with a prior examination that was adequate. Now, if the examination was inadequate, they would describe it as a possible missed lesion, but the examination, the prior examination was inadequate. And so that's what they did to review all of these cases and to be able to put them into these four individual buckets, actually five buckets, because they looked at if the PCCRC was diagnosed over four years, that was actually due to new cancers. And what they found was that 40% of their 516 cases were actually defined as new cancers based on the WO methodology. Now, among the remaining 321 cases that were diagnosed within four, 48 months of a colonoscopy, of these, 73% were classified as a possible mislesion, but the prior examination was actually adequate. Now, 12.5% were classified as a possible mislesion, but the prior examination was inadequate, meaning the, the bowel prep was fair, or, you know, the cecum was intubated. Now, 11.5% were actually due to an incomplete resection of a previously identified advanced lesion. And then 3.4% were due to a detected lesion that was not resected. There are a couple of points based on that review. Certainly looking at that very last part, right, about 3% where a lesion was detected, but a repeat colonoscopy to remove it was not performed. You know, states there are always administrative issues when we want to have a patient come back to probably get a procedure with an advanced endoscopy to get a lesion removed, and there's poor follow-up, so I think that's important for us to remember. Also, 
you know, you have a small percentage where it was a inadequate exam due to incomplete prep. And I think that really reemphasizes, hey, you can't let those patients who have an inadequate prep wait three or four years to come back for a repeat colonoscopy. Got to come back in one year. And then ultimately, yeah, the most common reason is that we missed the lesion. Now, I am a little bit cautious here. It doesn't appear that the root cause analysis WEO takes into account whether or not there might be a Lynch syndrome or specifically taking tissue to look for mismatch repair gene mutations that you can identify with microsatellite instability or immunohistochemistry testing. So what's the practice right now at Kaiser Permanente? And, and just to double check, was that something that was looked at in a study? Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, this is one of the pitfalls of, you know, some of the limitations is that not every, you know, PCCRC was actually checked um, for a genetic mutation, uh, particularly for Lynch syndrome, you know, with these mismatch repair genes. And so Kaiser Permanente in Northern California actually implemented a universal screening to evaluate and screen for Lynch syndrome. And this started about 2013 or 2014 from the top of my head. And we know that this is critical to be able to identify these patients. We know even in the general population, one out of nearly 300 individuals have Lynch syndrome. And so this is actually a, a common, you know, hereditary cancer syndrome. And so it's really important to be able to, to identify these individuals and be able to provide them with a preventative game plan, particularly for cancers in the GI tract. So very important and something that, you know, needs to be emphasized. I think that's a limitation of the World Endoscopy Organization's guidance. It doesn't take into account in the way they set up their root cause analysis to always make sure we're checking for that because some of those cancers that occurred within four years that are attributed to being a missed lesion, a small number probably were truly new cancers that were rapidly growing. And as you said, Kaiser Permanente system universally checks that now. You know, I recorded a podcast with Swati Patel this month about the Canadian Universal Screening Program for Lynch Syndrome. And just to reemphasize, when we diagnose colon cancer, we should always be sending tissue, check for microsatellite instability, certainly as long as the patient is younger than 70. But in the U.S., the multi-sided task force actually recommends it for all colon cancers at this point. Mm -hmm. So, Jeff, when you consider these data and you're working with your GI fellows, and you're trying to help them understand how to minimize post-colonoscopy colon cancers, what do you tell them? The two things that they can focus on that's in their control, number one is very important for you to optimize your detection during the withdrawal. So first, you know, it's really critical to use a high-definition colonoscope during the, during the withdrawal. Really be able to have a mindset of detecting flat polyps since these are the lesions that are often missed. Third, I at maximize your mucosal exposure so you can find those, you know, flat polyps or subtle polyps, making sure that, you know, you're working the folds is what I really emphasize to my fellows. And fourth, you know, I often perform two or three passes in the right colon because we often miss lesions in that location. And lastly, uh, when available, if you have a distal attachment device, such as a, a cap or an endocuff, I, I highly recommend using that to be able to, you know, be able to see the proximal sides of each of those hostile folds and to improve your mucosal exposure. In addition to optimizing your detection, because mislesion is 
the most common explanation for these PCCRCs. It's really important to, to focus on adequately and completely resecting the polyp at hand. And so that's another critical modifiable factor that's in your control. And I think that deserves a lot of attention. There's several tips and techniques I like to share with my fellows and even my colleagues to reduce your chances of, of recurrence or incomplete resection. And so first, I really emphasize never tackle a polyp that you cannot finish during your assigned time slot. You don't want to get rushed. You don't want to feel pressure during that time. Second, be humble. And if there's an incredibly you know, complex or challenging polyp, consider referring it to your colleague or, or referral center that specializes in you know, advanced tissue resection. And third, if the lesion is less than three centimeters of size, I always tell my fellows to really aim for an on-block resection. We all know that on-block is way more uh, effective in terms of reducing recurrence compared to a piecemeal resection. If on-block is not feasible, make sure to take wide margins during your, whether it's a piecemeal EMR or the conventional way or underwater way, make sure you take wider margins. And to also, I would recommend ablating the ed edges of the defect of the EMR. We've seen multiple randomized trials that this has been shown to be effective in reducing recurrence rates. And lastly, emphasize to your patients and to your staff that it is critical to bring these patients back for their surveillance colonoscopy. And if it's a large polyp removal from an EMR, you really want to bring them back within six months for follow-up. And if it's an incomplete prep, make sure you bring them back within one year. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. No, thank you for having me again, Phil. Thank you.